Appreciate the good time we've had already in the house of God. Amen. Amen. And the young people giving verses. I was wanting to do John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept, but I didn't think y'all would give me a candy for that one. But uh, wow, they did excellent. Amen. Amen. Hiding God's word in our heart. I'm glad for Mrs. McIntosh or McIntyre, my fourth grade teacher when we first went as missionaries to Canada. She, uh, I went to public school then. And she made us uh, memorize five psalms that year, and she had some parents very upset. My dad and mom were so happy about it, and I still remember those psalms and thankful for them. But uh, she was about that tall, Irish lady, and she was going to be retiring that year, and she didn't care what the principal said. And I'm thinking, that's my kind of woman right there. And she was a blessing, and she made us, uh, I was an inch away from getting the strap. Have you ever seen the strap? I was kind of, you might believe it, I was actually talking in class one time. Just, anyway, so the teacher put me out. It was another class, and I was in the hallway, like, real solemn and standing there. And she walked by and went, oh, no. Now, I'm in the fourth grade, and we're about the same height. She walked by and said, Steve, what are you doing? Because she was getting ready to head a strap. She was going to go strap some other kid. That means a leather strap about that wide, that thick. And the way they administer it, you put your hand out. And they had to whack your hand about five or six times. I'm thinking, well, I was talking a little bit. And I'm, I'm sorry. You don't usually do that. Now, don't do that anymore. Yes, ma'am. And she went by and went, whew, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Man, that woman, she would have put it on me. But uh, we might need the strap back. I don't know. And need a little reminder to behave ourselves. Amen. But praise the Lord. Well, we have a good time to sing unto the Lord and, and to praise the Lord. Amen. It's a good crowd back tonight. And and I'm brought, sorry, Brother Chuck, I took your pew, amen, over there. But uh, you have to put the price out of there. Is it Brother Chuck? Is it Chuck? We got two Chucks. What would a woodchuck Chuck or a wicked Chuck? I'm going the wrong direction on this one, amen. Well, I'm glad to be able to serve the Lord. I'm glad Connie's with me. She's my Valentine. And I like to buy Valentines for her because she's real easy to please. So this year is like, what do you want? Uh, usually it's chocolate and and candy or a little bit of that and flowers. She's not a big time on the flowers all the time. So I had to, she said, oh, well, you know what I want? I said, yeah, you want new grips on your golf clubs. So we did that. That was fine. She loved that. Amen. That was easy stuff. I was thinking about making her a deer stand and putting carpet in it. Amen. But I don't know if I wanted to go that far. But we ought to love one another. Serve the Lord. Now, you know we're Cajuns, right? Hey, yeah. These guys need to get right with God. Look at them here. Staring at me. You know, what is that guy doing? Yeah, from way down the bayou, you know, Pudro and Thibodeau. You ever heard of them, you know? Well, you know, Thibodeau, he went to the house, and there was his wife, Rosalie. And he talked to Rosalie, and, how you doing, babe? He said, oh, I'm doing so good. She said, but I, I miss the, the, the uh, this is the June month, and I, I miss the flowers from the, from the time of the Valentines. You know, I like to have the flowers once in a while, just in the, the Valentines. He said, oh, that's no problem. I go to the, I'm going to go to the Walmart and look around. And they got the flower section in the Walmart, you know. So he go on to the Walmart. He look around, pass a good time. And he, and he get home and say, hey, my love, I'm back. He said, oh, I'm so glad. What did you get me? You get me. Oh, I got you the flowers. Oh, I'm so happy. It's the June month, and I can have the flowers. They are pretty, and they smell so good. She said, what kind of flowers you get me? He said, I got you some self-rising flowers so you can make me some biscuits. <laughs> then he woke up in the hospital two days later. <laughs> Amen. All right. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Looking at verse number 1. You've got to watch some Louisiana people. Amen. <laughs> Chapter 12, verse number 1. Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God tonight. And thanks again, Pastor, for allowing me to come. Enjoy the fellowship today and, and enjoying the Word of God with you. And I pray that God will work in your life and in my life and Connie's life together. Thank you for your support and your prayers and your, your kindness to us. And we, we appreciate your faithfulness. I'm, I'm excited about uh, what God's doing here. It encourages us to see what the Lord's doing. And pray for me. We're, uh, we're going to be traveling to Georgia this week to a wedding. Uh, one of Connie's, uh, it'll be a great niece getting married. And then when we get back, and I'll be preaching Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, over in Kansas at New Life Baptist in Garnett, uh, Kansas. And uh, Pastor Chad Lee Master, and he's 
he lived a long time in Oklahoma, and he's actually was born in Texas, but uh, we're going to be able to celebrate there. And I know our church, my pastor, Brother Gaddis, is excited about Resurrection Sunday, so pray for your pastor. There's a lot of visitors that will come. Just on that Sunday, it just might be religious on the outside or just doing it for their family or they just want maybe they're searching for the Lord. And what a great time to be able to get the gospel message out. Amen. So pray for your pastor and all the teachers. And as you labor in the word, that God will do a great work. Second Corinthians chapter 12. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, this is Paul the Apostle. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire it to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear. In other words, I'm holding back. Lest any man should think of me above that which he seemeth me to be, or that heareth of me. Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and in necessities, and in persecutions, and distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Surely the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, and signs, and wonders, and mighty deeds. I'd like to preach tonight in this passage of Scripture on God's grace that is always sufficient. God's grace that is always sufficient. God's grace that can overcome the trial or the thorn. Lord, we love you and thank you for your word. Continue, we ask you, Lord, to deal with our hearts and strengthen us through the Scripture. I pray that those that are not saved who come to the place, Lord, they realize that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And, Lord, that you died and was buried and arose again. Lord, you deliver that wonderful gospel, the good news, the good tidings from heaven to us. Thank you for the day you saved me and help me, Lord, to preach your message tonight. And that we'll, you'll deal with us even as saved folk and God's people that will serve you, that will understand in a deeper way the great grace that you have for us. Thank you for Brother Paul who served the Lord. And Lord, through his ministry, we have the gospel to the Gentiles today. And we thank you for that. Continue to help us, Lord, to be faithful. Do a great work in our hearts, we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God's grace, that is always sufficient. And we notice here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, some interesting words that God is using Paul the Apostle when he's writing his second letter to the church at Corinth. As you know, the first letter at the church at Corinth was a letter of correction. They were sent in the camp. There was uh, incest in the church. Uh, there was uh, cliques in the church. And this group over here said, I be of Paul, I be of Apollos. And there was division in the church. And uh, uh, there was uh, a gripe and a complaining and a rebellion in the church. And it was a wealthy church, a talented church, a, at one time a very strong and powerful church. But Paul the Apostle had to send a letter of correction to get them to get their focus back on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you get into 2 Corinthians here, and by the time you get to chapter 8 and chapter 9, we know that they had gotten some things right. He wanted to let them know that I wasn't just trying to scold you and get you upset. I was trying to remind you of some uh, particulars about walking with God and serving God faithfully in His grace and in His love. And, and by the way, if you look at chapter 8 and chapter 9, we preach a lot out of that passage when we're in missions conferences talking about giving. He didn't say much about giving in the first uh, book because they didn't have the right attitude to give in. By the time they get some things right, this church became a great giving and loving church, and a church that was really on, on fire for the Lord. 
But also when he was uh, there uh, writing this letter, and of course he, uh, God used him in this church and starting this church, and we understand that uh, there were many that uh, were troubling the church with ungodliness. And so we see here now we get to chapter 12, and, I, and I wanna, we're going to talk about some things. I mentioned some things about trials this morning in, in Sunday school. But this is going to be something that Paul the Apostle went through. You and I are not going to go to the particulars of everything he went through. But how many of y'all believe we can learn some things from Paul the Apostle? Amen? Amen? That God did in his life. We learn through what God was working in the life of other believers so that we can have it for our life and keep our focus on the Lord. So remember that trials of the flesh and the thorns in the flesh, troubles in the flesh, are not new in the lives of God's people. The flesh running amok in, in lives of everyone can be summarized by Job chapter 14 and verse 1, where it says, Man that is born of a woman is of uh, a few days and full of trouble. Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So regardless of the need in our lives through any event, a crisis or difficulty that we come to, we can have assurance of the grace of God to aid us. Aren't you glad of that? Amen. Through what He gives to us and have confidence in His Word and that the Lord is our helper. Because remember, somebody says this way, they said, Preacher, I have a hard time living the Christian life. Well, let me just say this. You and I can't live the Christian life. Only Christ can live through us. We have to fully yield 100% ourselves to the Lord. So what was going on in the life of Paul the Apostle, well, of course, was unique in, in his situation that we can still glean some great knowledge for our lives today about the grace of God and how that the grace of God can work in us mightily if we let the Lord have His way in our lives. And the key is to be humble before Him and yield ourselves to what He has to say. So if there's one who could glory in their gifts, in their visions, and revelations and spiritual experiences concerning the mysteries of God, it was Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, who got saved, and God uh, put a blinding light on him and drew his attention to the gospel. He called on the Lord, and he became a mighty servant of God. I mean, you talk about a total turnaround that he had in his life, and God used him to get the gospel to the Gentile nations. They, we find here the phrase where it says, the, the I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Somebody said it this way, and uh, my father was Warren Risby said this, and he said by a quote, he, he puts this about eight, uh, 43 A.D., and between Acts chapter 9 and verse 30 and chapter 11 verse 26. This was Paul himself as he tries to humbly deflect this man in the third person. So he's talking about himself, and it's a common practice by the rabbis. And he said this way, so as not to glory. He was caught up, snatched away, probably by a vision into the third heaven, which is paradise we see here, in the presence of the Lord to get these glorious revelations from God. And notice he mentions about the, the third heaven. So <clears throat> some rabbis would teach seven layers, seven levels, if you want to say. But we see here that the third heaven here is mentioned uh, of the paradise. So most believe today the first heaven is the clouds where the airs and the birds are. Uh, the second heaven would be the cosmos where the stars and the planets are. And so we see the third heaven is the celestial where the throne of heaven, the paradise of God is. So Paul immediately deflects to not glory and not glorying in these events at all, but rather glory or to boast in the grace of God through many infirmities that he personally encountered. If you go to chapter 11, verse 30, and chapter 12, verse 5, here we see that. Paul says that he would be a fool to glory in himself, referring to his flesh, in chapter 12, verse 6 here. And so we will see, I believe, as we continue on in this passage of Scripture, more of what he's telling us. Now, let's continue in this text. As we've read it here in this chapter, it's a... It's a, it's a events that's going on in his life. It's uh, Paul the Apostle trying to make sure that uh, sin is, is out of the camp, out of the church, and that people are right with God, and, and, uh, and he's watching out for false prophets that are coming and telling other Gospels. So as we continue in the text, Paul tells us there in verse 7 and 10 something very interesting. Let's go back to chapter 12 and verse 7. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure, 
through the abundance of the, of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, as three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace, is what God's telling Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory, Paul says, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so as we see this, we continue here, we see that he's referring back uh, to a time in his life where his flesh had to be suppressed while walking with Jesus Christ. Because what was this thorn in the flesh that Paul dealt with in his personal life? And what was the purpose to keep Paul's eyes and heart toward God and His grace? Now, it's very interesting here in chapter 11 that you find, if you go back, we find Paul the Apostle was reluctantly upholding and defending and reminding the church at Corinth of his apostleship. So you can tell Paul's really not wanting to, well, here's the way we might want to say it, he's not really wanting to defend himself. How many of you believe God can defend us? Amen. My dad taught us kids, he said, remember, if you're, if you're wrong, you have no defense. If you're right, you need none. And that little phrase has stayed with me all my life. Uh, but there's times that when others are involved, and the effects of sin that are involved that are coming up at the sheep here, or coming at your family, or coming at your spouse or your friend, there's times you have to stand up and make a defense just to make sure that the truth is being told properly. Say, Amen? And so Paul is doing this. And so, uh, he, he was one of the sent ones. He was an apostle. He was a chosen vessel by the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to go to the Gentiles with the gospel. He was given visions, Paul was, revelations, and, and, and uh, power to establish churches in the Gentile world. False apostles were trying to undercut the ministry, and they were coming into the church and infiltrating what we want to say the Sunday school classes, the junior church, uh, the auditorium, uh, changing the words in the songbook, trying to get people to think more about work salvation than salvation by grace through faith. And so how many of y'all know that if that happens, instead of us just leaving the church, somebody needs to make a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to say, hey, you're a wolf in sheep's clothing. You don't need to be here, and you need to get it right. And that's often what the pastor has to do. He has to make a stand. And nobody, he doesn't want anybody to leave. He doesn't want anybody to be run off. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about making a stand that we continue to preach the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from behind the pulpit. Amen? And it all through the Sunday school and all through the church. And so false prophets and apostles were trying to undercut his ministry. And uh, they were, uh, these churches he was showing, uh, he was talking to, of course, the church at Corinth here, uh, these false prophets were trying to minimize Paul's influence and to manipulate the minds of the hearers toward a gospel of works instead of grace through faith. So you note some, uh, some of the visions of Paul. And maybe let's just go over to Ephesians real quickly. Now hold your place in 2 Corinthians, and uh, we're going to come back to chapter 12. But I want you to go over to Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And so he's talking to the church at Ephesus. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. For, for this cause Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Now notice he's not saying that I, the great apostle, He's not even, and he has the right at times he'll say, I am an apostle. But here he's saying, I'm just, I'm a bond slave of Christ. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. So I'm nothing without the Lord. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me to, uh, to, uh, to you, word, how that by revelation, he's talking about what God did to give him this revelation, he made known unto me the mystery, as I write afore in a few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in, in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. Now, see, that was a great mystery that God revealed to Paul to make sure he preaches. He preached about the mystery of the church, and, and, uh, and he talked to more about the rapture, of the, all these mysteries that God had. And God was using Paul to deliver this word. And partakers, he said, of his promising Christ by the, uh, by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, 
even unto my, me by the effectual working of his power. And so he's reminding the church at Ephesus that God called me in a special way with these revelations in order for me to impart to you what God was saying. You find that in Acts chapter 9, uh, chapter 16, 18, 22, that there, and chapter 23, chapter 27. If you go back and read about those visions that Paul had, he was a man that was connected to God in a way that God was using him to declare the word to the church, the local churches. And remember, the church at large, we might say the church singularly, but we mean uh, all churches in general, none in particular. But it's the local New Testament church. Amen? And so this is a body of believers right here that God's using. And so the words that God gave Paul the apostles, well, apostle, we are declared today, and I'm glad of the influence of Paul the apostle, because how do you think that God got to Louisiana, the gospel? Through times, all through Asia and Europe, and when people moved over here and moved to the United States, guess whose message they were preaching? Thank God for God using Paul the apostle, amen? And the message that came all the way to us, to us Gentiles that need to be saved. So in Brother Paul's defense, he clearly reminded them that he was true before God and the church with the right message, with the right motives, and with the right methods in teaching and preaching to them the word of the living God. After all, he knew he could, uh, he could glory in his flesh, but it would be worthless and sinful and foolish. Listen, Brother Paul uh, wanted to be honest before them as to what God had to do or allow in his life. And he said, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. In other words, to keep me humble before God, to keep me, you, for the church just to understand that he was just a man uh, that was used of the Lord. And by the way, by ourselves, the best of men are still men at best. Is that right? And so Paul was not bragging about his position. He's not bragging and patting himself on the back. He's not saying, I'm such a great one. He said, it's by the grace of God that God called me to do this, but I'm not going to stand here and let somebody else bring false doctrine into this, hey, into this church and remind you what first what God said, not what they say. Amen. And so he's very careful, no doubt reluctant to even have to bring these things up. Now, there's much conjecture and opinion as to what this thorn in the flesh was. Paul went to heaven, and most likely in a vision, and God gifted him with a thorn in the flesh. Some believe it may have been fits of epilepsy, or an unknown disease, or malaria, or eye affliction because of the blinding lights of his conversion. You remember he was blind for a season. In Acts chapter 13 and, and uh, 23 and chapter 4, it does, that is a reference to that. But I'm, gonna, I'm going to... Defer to a simple explanation to Warren Risby gives a good explanation. Let me give it to you. He said, we do not know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. The word translated thorn means a sharp stake used for torturing or impaling someone. It was a physical affliction of some kind that brought pain and distress to Paul. Satan was permitted to buffet Paul. The word means to beat, to strike with the fist. The tense of the verb indicates that this pain was either constant or reoccurring, close quote. I believe that's a pretty good explanation of what we find here. And I know there's many other ideas have, and some believe it means this and that, but I, that's a general idea I believe that we can all understand and know that God allowed this pain, this affliction of some sort. Then it went, and Paul asked uh, three times for it to be taken away. But God said, no, I, I have it for this purpose, to help you stay humble. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. For what is he using this thorn in the flesh for? Now you get it to verse 7 uh, through uh, the, verse 9 and 10, and it kind of gives us an a idea of what God was trying to do in the life of Paul the Apostle. And I want to stop here and say, I want us to see ourselves, not necessarily as an apostle like Paul was, but as a believer that God is using, He's blessing. He's revived. He's given talent. How many of y'all believe we all have some kind of talent to serve God with? Amen? We have, we're gifted in certain ways. Well, God uh, gives His blessings to us. But how many of y'all know that we need to be careful not to brag on us, but to keep bragging on Jesus? And so to keep us in a place where we're yielded to God, where we're, we're humble before the Lord. By the way, the church is growing. Watch this. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. Amen. 
It's not about a man. It's not about a woman. It's not about a child. It's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? Amen. So what He does, it's all good. Is that right? And so when He does it, it's wonderful. And so we need to keep it that way. And for us to stay humble when we're serving God, maybe God uses you to win some souls. And, and you, before you know it, if you're not careful, you can get a big head. Thinking you're some great soul winner. Well, God can cut that off right away. and you'll be you, 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 The blessings of God won't come if you and I act that way. Hey, listen, I, I know the churches that have crumbled today because pride got in. It wasn't God's for His glory. It was for some kind of man. By the way, we need to quit having celebrity worship in churches today, amen? And you know, a lot of people look for churches to go to by, uh, you know, they're, they're looking around by ways that can uh, tickle their flesh and, and, and accomplish something in a fleshly way in their life. And so they look at churches that way as some kind of program they can improve themselves. Well, listen, it's not about that. It's about what does thus saith the Lord have? What does He want me to do? Uh, knowing that I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God, and I should never forget that. Amen? And Paul even said he was the chiefest of sinners. Let's be reminded. Paul's not bragging here. Matter of fact, like I said, he's reluctant to say this. But because of having to make the stand, you can see that he's doing it in the right spirit, yielding to the Lord, for the protection of the saints of God and for the sheep. So what happens when you and I are allowed to be blessed of God, but God wants to keep us humble in a trial and gives us a trial, gives us a difficulty, gives us a, something in our life to remind us where we are? Maybe it's in the back of our mind, and, and every now and then, if we get a little, a little, what we used to say, a little sassy when I was growing up, and God has a way to kind of humble us, amen? Maybe it's an event in your life, and you go back and think, Whoa. I remember there was an event in our life back years ago. And uh, that we were first in the ministry. Connie and I were serving God. And we were three years along as a married couple. And, and the church was going great. And, and somehow the, the, the preacher went sideways. And then he started blaming the preachers in the church. And matter of fact, I think out of about 13 preachers in that church, but just probably two or three of us are still in church today. And it just everywhere, because pride got in and all kinds of stuff. And then I got this attitude. I get this attitude. I was upset at the Lord. And I got to doing what I wanted to do. I got to saying, well, I, I don't want to do this because it wasn't working. So anyway, to make a long story short, I had this attitude, and the Lord allowed me for two years. At the, and thinking I was right with the Lord, but I was stubborn, and I was not yielded to God, and God had to break me and bring me down to my knees. And I was an inch away from getting out of the ministry. Now let me just say this. It wasn't God's fault. It wasn't a preacher's fault. It wasn't my wife's fault. It was the guy standing right here's fault. And what I had, I saw some great things happen in the ministry when I was a young man with my dad's ministry. And I, I don't know, maybe I assume some of that would just transition over to me. But I didn't realize all the suffering and the dealing that my dad had to go through to get the power of God and see God work in his life. And somehow, I guess I expected it. And so I had an attitude that I was going to tell God what I wanted to do. And when I got on my face before the Lord, it got so low. And I had a little baby and my wife and things were down and, and I had gone real low. And I got up out of bed. We actually were living with my brother-in-law, and I was working a construction company, which is no problem with a construction company. I mean, I, that's fine. That's a noble work, but that was not the will of God for me at that time. And I was, I was trying to make it, and I was frustrated. I was angry. And, uh, I, and so we were at my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's house and helping them for a few. They were kind of going. It was like two, two, groups, two couples got together with, with both their miseries, amen. And we were trying to help each other through some stuff. And God mightily blessed and helped us. Aren't you like God will bring grace and help when we were out of fellowship, amen? amen. And so Connie was laying in the bed that night, and EJ was just a little child, about a year, year and a half, and and I got up out of bed and got on the floor, and I started weeping. I said, Lord, what is wrong? What, what, where's your blessings? What is wrong with me? And at that part of my ministry, I got upset, and I didn't want to be a school teacher anymore. I didn't want to work in a Christian school. Because just, just, there were some things that went on, and mistreatment and such as that. I got very bitter about it. And, I, and the Lord, I said, Lord, what is my problem? He said, you don't, you're not doing what I tell you to do. What is it you want me to do? And he just spoke to my heart. He said, I want you to go back into a Christian school. 
I said, God, I will, I, 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 I began to break and I asked God, I said, Lord, will you help me? Lord, I will go back and do a Christian school. I'll do whatever you want to. I just ask that you take care of my wife and my son. I don't care if I starve to death. And the Spirit of God, brother, I mean, it was like the, God just cleansed me, and the Spirit of God began to fill me, and I started shouting. And I started praising God. And, I, and Connie was laying in the bed. She woke up. She says, Steve, what's going on? I said, honey, I'll tell you in the morning. And the next morning when we got up, I started telling what God did. I said, God's filled me with the Spirit. I was out of fellowship. I got it right. And uh, God's getting ready to bless us. I went to work that day. We were excited for the next two weeks. And uh, I, I asked God this one request. I said, God, I am weak. I am nothing. Just show me how you're going to supply our needs. Now, we had just moved over to our in-laws a, uh, a couple months before that. And I had, we had two lawn chairs, uh, two TV trays, an old bedroom set, and our clothes. That's all we had. I, did, I mean, I was poor as Job's turkey, amen, they used to say. And I mean, God was thumbing me down and showing me who's boss. And he had to break me. How many of y'all believe God has to break us? And so, here it is. God's going to bless you. He's going to show me how he's going to bless you. Within two weeks, uh, uh, I get this uh, call uh, to go work. We're in Pensacola, Florida. I'm going to go work, go check on a church and a school in Robertsville, Alabama, between, right there between Mobile and Pensacola. And I'm excited. And that week, uh, uh, we're going to go, we went out and met the pastor, and, and it was exciting. And then we're going to come to this particular Sunday, two weeks later, and we're going to meet the people. So that Saturday night, I mean, yeah, that Saturday night, my son, through that week, was starting to get infantigo. And his fingers and his hands and his toes just looked like they were just kind of rotten. I mean, they're just sores. And we didn't have any money, didn't have insurance. And so back late that, that night, uh, that, uh, sat, uh, that Saturday evening, we take him to the emergency room, and, and they let us come in. They medicate him. They give us some stuff. I said, what's the bill? He said, well, I'll have to send it to you, Mr. Osteen. I said, okay. We got to bed about 2.30 that Sunday morning. Early that, later, on, I, I, later on that morning, I called that pastor. I said, Pastor, we may be a little late. And I told him what happened. He said, no problem. Our son had bandages on his hands and on his feet. And we made it just in time for Sunday school. And I'm holding my baby. And he's got these men. And remember, just a week, two weeks before, I got everything right with God. But how do you all believe God can show us to keep trusting Him, yield to Him? And so... We went through there, and that night they gave us, uh, was it $52 and some change? And we went back home. So, Connie, believe it or not, had loaned somebody $10. And I don't know where she got that $10 from, amen? <laughs> but somebody get back in the church gave it to her. When she was, we were out, they gave it to my in-laws, and, uh, and, and they gave it to uh, Connie's sister, and she gave it to Connie. So that's $62 and some change. And that church, that pastor looked like, you know, we're going to want you to come, and we want you to work in our school and be our youth director and, and help me out. And, we were excited, and then I get that bill that came in the mail. It came to the parsonage at my brother-in-law's at his church. And see, this is from that hospital bill. Remember we just got that love offer at $62? When I opened it up, the bill showed $62. And the Holy Spirit of God said, that's how I'm going to take care of you. And so the Holy Spirit of God uh, began to show me that it's not about me. If you'll stay close to me, I'm going to take care of you. So we get called to go work in a school in Robertsville, Alabama with our two lawn chairs and two TV trays and old bedroom set. And God gives us a wonderful time in that ministry for three years. God calls me to go pastor in Kansas just before I came to El Reno. And when we left after that three years, we had to have a 24-foot Penske truck to haul our furniture. And God was blessing and supplying. I'm not saying he was, that wealth has anything to do with it. We weren't wealthy. But the thing is, God was going to take care of me in ways that I could not take care of myself. Let me talk, remind you, young people, look at Brother Steve. God can do more with your life than you can do with it. And if you will yield to Him, and I yielded to Him early, but there's also a time when we get out of the will of God, God has a way to put you back into His will. He might have to spank you a little bit, correct you, chasten you. Why? Because He loves you. And that's the way God is. He's so good. Now, I want you to think about I'm going to give you some five thoughts here that help you and you can take home with you and use in your life. What was some of the things God was doing in the life of Paul the Apostle as he was helping him stay focused? Now, now remember, I can go back to that landmark in my mind, Pensacola. That's like the backside of the desert to me. Some of y'all think that's a wonderful place? Not to me. But the good thing was when I got on my knees that day, that's the good part of it. Amen? Amen. And you can find those places in your life. And so what is it that Paul needed in his life? First of all, 
This thorn in the flesh, number one, it removes foolish pride. It removes foolish pride. Look at verse number 7 again. Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You see, we, we come to the area here uh, where uh, this chapter, verse 7 through 10, in these verses, that gives us an overview of why God gifted Paul and with a thorn in the flesh. We see the first reason stated here twice, lest I be exalted above measure. See, this thorn was to remove foolish pride. Someone said it this way, in order that I might not be abundant excess of the revelation be uplifted. And then we see another a good quote. Sermon Bible has a good quote, and it says it this way. Physical infirmity reveals to a man the fact that he is not himself a source of power. And the more general truth that the power of the world is outside of him, in other words, it teaches him that he is a dependent being. Close quote. And who are we dependent on? We're dependent on God. Now, I don't care how strong you are, how mighty you are, how fast you are, or how great you are. God, all he has to do is snap his finger or speak a word, and that can all change. Amen? We better be dependent on the Lord. And so, you remember, you said, how was Paul that, listen, how could Paul be that way? Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 14, verse 8 through 16, a frantic crowd in Lystra tried to make man-gods of Paul and Barnabas. They were calling Paul Mercurius and Barnabas Jupiter. Watch this. Paul the Apostle has such a gift from speaking that in a, in a fleshly way, if that, if that took over his life and thinking he was all that mighty, he could have started his own cult. He could have started his, are y'all listening to this? He could start his own rhythm. He could have said, whoa, they think I'm a, a great orator. Look at me. And look at you, Barnabas. We together, we can, we can make millions off this. And Paul the Apostle said, wait a minute. Amen. I believe in the Almighty God. Aren't you glad Paul was faithful to God? So it removes pride. What else does a thorn in the flesh do? Second of all, it revives fervent prayer. Look at verse 8. Well, this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Well, how do you suppose he sought the Lord? Did he send him a text? Amen. Did he call him on a cell? It was through prayer, wasn't it? You know what the Lord does? He'll get us back on our knees, won't he? We have to understand the power of prayer depended on God. You know, preacher, I believe one of the greatest sins of the church age is prayerlessness. One of the great sins of the church are prayerlessness. Everybody in here, right with God, can shake this, not just this community, can shake this state, and can probably shake the world for Christ. Isn't that awesome? But we're too fleshly many times, too yield to our, ourselves, not willing to let God do it. But listen, friend, I'm not accusing you or, or excusing you, but when you and I have to have a reminder much time, it revised, reviving and fervent prayer that we need. As affliction often does, it brought Paul the Apostle to his knees. Prayer for us to our Lord should be as necessary as breathing. We must allow God to talk to us through His Word and His Spirit. But every need and issue in our lives, we are to also speak with God through our prayers. You see, Brother Paul requested this thorn removal at least three times. But God had another purpose uh, for Paul, God wanted to us. Uh, excuse me, wanted to use what he he gave Paul as a tool for good. I believe it was a, year, a couple of years ago. We had it was a brother Elliot, the blind evangelist, and he talked about some of these thoughts that he asked God not to let him get blind and go blind and, and stop it, the process of it. If I remember right, forgive me if I'm not exactly correct in this, but it was to the attitude that the Lord said to him. Don't pray that anymore. Just depend on me because I'm going to use you like you are. You know what? That's a mighty man of God. That's a mighty servant of the Lord. Amen? That, 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 that takes a yielding to God. And you know what? God's using him in a mighty way. Amen? Now, friend, you and I, I mean, listen, we need to be on our knees. We need to depend on the Lord. And Connie and I, we don't pray like we should. We're, we're growing in our prayer, and there's times that God's using us in a mighty way, and it's to God's to be the glory. But I'm going to tell you one thing. By His grace, we've seen God answer prayer. 
We've seen God work in our life. And let me just say this. I believe everybody in here has seen God work in your life when you get saved. Amen? I believe that everyone in here has the same opportunity to pray and depend on God and to serve the Lord. And sometimes God has to revive prayer. Third of all, authority in the flesh can reveal gracious perfection. It can reveal gracious perfection. Look in chapter 12 there, verse 9. He said, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. See, God answered Paul with this wonderful truth of promise. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God is saying that if you want my grace, if you want my divine loving kindness to operate in abundance in your life, you have to find your weakness in bringing yourself to a place of humility so I can raise you up in a spiritual nature and strength and mature you so you can come to me and know that I alone, God, can take over. That way God gets the glory for this power and grace. Amen? Not our flesh. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 11, just flip back here to the chapter before. Look at verse 23. I mean, he, he's, he's talking about, you some, are, are they ministers of Christ? I speak of a, as a fool, I more. In other words, are these false prophets ministers of Christ? Remember he was dealing with them? Paul was saying, the church, don't listen to them because I am more than what they are. They don't know anything. They don't know what I know. I've been given revelations and visions of God. And he said, I am more in the labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure, and in prisons, more required. You see, he goes right to the fact that I went through all this persecution. Now, and he's not whining about it because remember, he said, I used to persecute the church. I used to be evil. I used to, and God's allowed me to stay alive, to be able to turn over and, and go through persecution for him now. And I can see what they went through. And God is using me to get the gospel out. Thrice I was beaten, he says, with rods. Verse 25, once I was, I was stoned, and then, I mean, uh, once was I stoned, and thrice I suffered shipwreck, and night and day. I mean, he's just going on with some things, and journeying, and perils, and robbers, and, and, and perils of his countrymen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and in perils of the sea, and in perils among false brethren, in weariness, and painfulness, and watchings, often in hunger, and thirst, and fasting, often in cold, and nakedness, beside those things that are without... That which cometh upon me daily for the care of all the churches to God. Excuse me. I mean, you talk about stress. You talk about anxiety that came his way. He had to battle all that to keep the truth going forth in the gospel, with the gospel in these churches. Who's weak? And I am not weak. He said in verse 29, Who is offended? I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory the things which concern mine infirmities. And so he's talking about how that if it wasn't for God's grace and God's mercy, we couldn't do anything for Him. And it's God's grace that perfects us. It reveals that God is doing a work. See, persecution, He had persecution in the world. He had perils of life's difficulties. He had pains in the physical body. And He had the pressures of, of the mind while in ministry. James chapter 4 says it this way. Listen to this. Verse 6, concerning the grace of God and humility. But he giveth more grace. Let me ask you, how many of y'all want more grace? My hand's up. I want more grace every day. I need, to, I need that extended grace and kindness and love of God every day in my life, don't you? He said, wherefore he saith, God resists at the proud. That word resist means to do war with. God says, I'm going to stiff arm you every time you're full of pride. In fact, if you remember, he said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Remember, he said, I'm going to go all the way to the cross with you. I'm going to die. No, no, no. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, just to remind you, Peter was not Satan, but Peter had the attitude that Satan had that he got kicked out of heaven with. And so when God sees pride, he sees the devil. Let me say it again. When God sees pride in you and I, he sees the devil. Now, that doesn't mean we are the devil. That doesn't mean we're lost again. That doesn't mean we get, need to get saved again. That means that's the same attitude that Lucifer had. And so he says, God resists the proud, but give grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So you have to submit, resist the devil, say no <clears throat> to him, and then he will flee from you, and then draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So every time we take a step toward God, preacher, you know what he does? He takes a step toward us. 
Every time we take a step toward God, He takes a step toward us. Aren't you glad we could draw near to God? Amen? And the Bible says that we are to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. He says, uh, uh, Draw nigh to Him, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned in the morning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. My dad had a little phrase this way. When we get out of fellowship, you ever get out of the will of God? And you kids ever get out of source of mom and dad? And you kids ever disobey? Nobody. Look, this, yes. You have to talk for them. They came talking. Man. Have you ever disobeyed? All right. Have you ever been a little bit full of yourself? Are you full of yourself right now? Don't answer that. <laughs> Have we ever thought that we know more than mommy? In fact, that happened a few years ago when y'all were in elementary school. You thought you knew more than mom and dad. Now you're getting older. You know you're not, but you're resisting to admit it. And one of these days, you're going to turn 18 and those biscuits are going to be gone. You'll be somewhere else. You're going to wish I was back home with mom. Amen. Amen. So dad would do it this way when we, me and my brother and sister would disobey. Sister, he'd look at us. And my dad had a straight look, brother. He'd just look at us. And, I, and did you do such and such? And I, for me, I, I had to admit it. Did you do such and such? And he'd see my neck get this vein, get real tight. And now here's what the, southern, the North Louisiana way, it was like, that's called bowing up. It's like a, a snake bowing up, getting ready to strike. And my dad would say, really nice, like this. Boy, don't you bow up at me. And I just go, <sighs> I just calm down. And he said the next thing he said, now you either humble you or I'm going to humble you. Which one do you want? I humble me, Dad, <laughs> immediately, because I didn't want him to get the board on me. Amen? Now, here's what God says. Humble yourself. Is it easier if we just self-correct? Just get it right. Just calm down. Take a breath. Believe God is God. Yield to the Lord. And watch this. It'll minimize the chastening. Amen. I'm for it. <laughs> Amen. How many of y'all believe some people are hard-headed? Does anybody in here with an uplifting hand say, I know somebody hard-headed, don't you? Raise your hand. You're going to squeal on your brother again, and you're your sister. Listen, friend, you know what he says? That we can humble ourselves. And God can reveal grace's perfection and maturity when we yield ourselves and then get more grace to come. Our way number four, it restores spiritual power. Look at chapter... 12 again, and verse 9, almost finished. Stay with me. Look at in the end of verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, and the, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He restores spiritual power. Most gladly. In other words, I'm going to make right choices. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather. In other words, make the right choice and glory in mine infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Preacher, there's that dunamis again. There's that, there's that uh, dynamite of God, that power, that force of God working on me and you. So I submit my weakness to my, and my feebleness to God and my mind to God for Him to make exchange with giving me His power to glorify and serve Him. And He restores spiritual power. How many of y'all remember the man of God, Saul, had power with God? Here's how he had power. He humbled himself. He said, I can't do it. I come like a child. You remember Solomon came like a child to God and God used him. But in the life of those men, they bowed up. They got real sassy. They got real filled with themselves, filled with, and then what happened? Their lives collapsed. It restores spiritual. See, God's power can't work in a fleshly body unless that tabernacle is yielded fully to Him. Do we want the power of God in our life? We should. That's what really works through us to help us to love and weep for souls and help others and have. His way working through us. Last of all, to help us with this thorn of the flesh, God uses it, but it remains a paradox. Look in verse 10. It remains a paradox. It's just like, it's an, you know what a paradox is? It's a seeming untruth. It's like when the Lord says, the last shall be first. Oh, that's a seeming reversal truth. No, that's what's called a paradox. 
And here's the paradox of verse 10. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and in necessities and in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Because why? It says, when I yield myself as nothing to God, He takes me and He gives me the spiritual strength to take on the day and to serve Him with. Now let me encourage you tonight. Instead of my infirmities and reproaches and my necessities and persecution and distresses of defeating me and defining and controlling me, He says, I will take pleasure in them. He said, I, I will find that if I give my weaknesses to Him, He'll turn them into strengths as I yield them to God. Christ gets the glory. It's a paradox, seeming an untruth, but God designs it this way. That we're going to get bitter or allow God to make us better. God's grace is always sufficient. And all we need to, to get through the pain and enjoy the promises of God's grace are available to us right now. I mean, God can work through our afflictions, our health issues, our mannerisms that are weak, or in the sense of maybe the lack of uh, being able to do certain things in our life, but God can take us if we yield ourselves to Him, and He can empower us to overcome those inabilities to become His abilities for His glory. I remember we had a man in our church, him and his dear wife, they came together out of, out of stress and a strain as a couple, when she, she was paralyzed as a girl, half of her body, I think she was just a little child, and she was playing with an umbrella, and she fell on the umbrella, and it went through her eye, and it messed up her brain, functioned part of her body, and she was just kind of pushed and persecuted through school. Well, her husband had cerebral palsy, and he couldn't control his mouth, and he couldn't control his words, and it looks like every time he walked, you want to catch him. Well, they both met each other and got married and had some children, and they ended up coming to our church in Slidell, Louisiana. And Brother Marlowe, I'm going to tell you, when it came time for testimonies, Brother Marlowe would give his testimony. And we're talking about a man that, for that period of time, was walking with the Lord. He would go door knocking. Now, you'd have to wait up on him. But he'd, he'd go, and I'm coming, Brother Steve. And he'd, just, and he'd get in front of people, and he could talk to them, and they didn't want to say no to him. And God used him. Instead of him being embarrassed about it and angry with God about it, he gave his weakness and inability, even what people made fun of, because they didn't understand him in some ways. And God used him and propelled his life as a ministry and a service to God. I'm going to tell you, you know, you're not near as cool as you think you are. I know that hurts some of you boys out there. But hang in there. Ladies, you're not as near as whatever. So I'm going to just say the whatever part. <laughs> That's the safe area. The point I'm making is the point you're getting. We have to give it over to God. Amen. It's not about us, it's about Him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask the pastor to come. You know, God wants to reveal perfection through our life in grace. He wants us to come to Him in prayer, give our weaknesses to Him, yield ourselves to Him, and then that's when He's really going to use us and be able to use us because we've yielded ourselves and let Him take over so that He gets the glory and the praise. Amen.